I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Mary Bushman, who is a postdoctoral fellow at Emory University, and we're talking about how math is used to model malaria. Uh, Mary, can you tell us how math is used in general to do that? Yes. I can think of maybe sort of two main ways in which math is used to understand malaria. So the first is models that help us sort of understand the biology of the system better. And so like at the population level, we might use models to understand what drives the epidemiology of malaria. So if we're seeing seasonal fluctuations in malaria prevalence or long-term changes, um, we might use models to figure out whether that's being driven by the climate or the mosquito populations or human movement patterns. Whereas on a smaller scale, like at the individual level, um, we might use models to understand the dynamics of the disease itself. So like at the within-host level, malaria has much more complicated dynamics than a lot of other infections. And so it can be quite tricky to figure out what's driving that. So models can really help us figure out what's controlling those dynamics. So that's, that's one area in which models can help us sort of understand the disease better. Um, the other area is using models to predict what the impact of a particular intervention might be. And so again, we can do that at the population level and figure out, okay, if we're going to distribute this many bed nets or we're going to introduce insecticide spraying or introduce a new malaria vaccine, like how big a difference is that going to make on the prevalence of malaria in this population? And then we can also do that on the individual level. So you can use pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic models to figure out like what the most effective combination of malaria drugs might be for clearing individual malaria infections. So there's a role for mathematical modeling there as well. It sounds pretty varied as, as to what math is used for or the different models that are used. And are they mostly based on partial differential equations or is there maybe some uh, graph theory involved when you get to a population level? You captured um, a really salient aspect of it, which is that there's a huge variety of different models that are used to answer a huge variety of different questions. So the approaches often vary. Um, a lot of the models would actually, they might not even go to the level of PDEs. A lot of them are actually just ordinary differential equation models. A lot of epidemiological models are based on ODE frameworks, unless there's a lot of times if you want to use uh, something where there's heterogeneity in the population, like there's spatial heterogeneity or there's sort of heterogeneity in contact patterns, then you might use a different framework. And I imagine that graph theory might come into some of the models where you have contact networks that are being superimposed on a transmission scheme. None of my models have used that, so I don't feel, I don't feel super qualified to answer the question in depth just because there's so much out there and I haven't even read all of it. But you recently found something interesting when you modeled the malaria drug resistance, kind of a counterintuitive result. Uh, can you tell us about that and, and any math that was used? Yeah. So we wanted to use a model to explore a particular hypothesis for why drug resistance has evolved much more quickly in some places than others. And specifically, it's evolved more quickly in low transmission settings, which are places where malaria is not so common. It's taken a lot longer to evolve in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, where there's a really high malaria burden. And our hypothesis was that in those high transmission settings, like in Sub-Saharan Africa, people are often infected with several strains concurrently, and you might get within host competition between sensitive and resistant parasites that would suppress the resistant strains and make it harder for them to spread. And so to do that, we used something called a nested model, which is sort of one model that contains a whole sub-model. So in this case, it was an epidemiological model that was 
simulating transmission of parasites between humans and mosquitoes, but then we were also tracking the within-host dynamics of the parasites in all of the individual hosts. So that's an example of an individual-based model where we're specifically tracking every host in the population. And what that showed was that in high transmission settings, that competition really does hinder the spread of resistance, but only at the very beginning. So what happens is when you introduce a drug-resistant strain into a high transmission setting, there's a really high risk of it going extinct early on. And that's because basically all of the potential hosts are already occupied by the drug-sensitive strains that are already there. Whereas in a low transmission setting, more hosts are available, so there's a lower chance of extinction. So in that very early stage, there's a real disadvantage for resistant strains in high transmission settings, but that disadvantage disappears once resistance is established in the population. Um, and actually, under some conditions, you can actually see an opposite effect start to take over where resistance can actually spread faster in high transmission settings. So it can take longer to appear initially, but then spread very quickly once it's established. So what's really cool is that that's actually very consistent with what's actually happened in terms of like the history of drug resistance in malaria, but it's offering a mechanism to explain the patterns we've observed that hasn't really been given serious consideration before. And part of the reason it wasn't given serious consideration is that it's virtually impossible to test that hypothesis empirically. And so it was basically just a lot of hand-waving until basically we came along and used a model to show that the predictions were robust. So that's what our model did. So were you pretty happy when uh, your model fit what's happened? Yeah, actually, we're actually surprised. So the, the sort of dichotomy where resistance was being prevented from establishing in high transmission settings, but was actually spreading faster. That's actually something that I didn't expect to get out of the model. So I, I sort of expected it to be one or the other, because some people had hypothesized that within host competition would suppress the spread of resistance, and other people had hypothesized that it would accelerate the spread of resistance. And what we were trying to do is to make a much more nuanced model that would allow us to figure out like once and for all, which is it, or, or is it something that sort of depends on the level of selection, the level of anti-malarial drug use. And it turned out that it's actually, it's not one or the other, it's both. It's just that you're getting both effects, but they're happening at different stages of the process. So that was an unexpected insight, but in retrospect, it actually fit very well with what really happened. Mary, is there anything you'd like to add? One of the things that I learned over the course of uh, studying malaria for my PhD is that it's probably one of the most difficult diseases to model, but also one of the most worthwhile. And those, those are sort of for the same reason. So it's a very complicated disease at every level in every possible way. It's really complicated. And you often have to work around the fact that you don't know some very basic things. So for example, like we really don't understand how immunity to malaria works. So that can be really challenging when you're trying to build a model and you don't know some really fundamental things. But at the same time, it's really cool to try and use math to nail down some questions that have gone unanswered for a really long time. Well, good luck with your, your research, and, and thanks for talking, Liz. That's Mary Bushman, who is a postdoctoral fellow at Emory University, and she's been talking about her work trying to uh, figure out and, and model malaria. Mary, thanks very much. Okay, thanks, Mike.